Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Welcome to another episode of the Get Genius Podcast. I'm very happy to be interviewing David C. Baker today, and he has got an incredible story of how he how he grew up, which is very unique to a lot of us, and I think it greatly contributed to who he is today. Um, he grew up, well, actually, I'm not going to tell you. I was going to tell you how he grew up, but I'd like you to listen out for it because he's going to tell it, and he's also going to pronounce things a lot better than I can. So I'm going to let him tell that story. But a lot of what we're talking about today is um, entrepreneurial experts and, and some of the frustrations and the emotions that we go through as an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about how we can really understand what it is that we're good at and how other people see us. What is it that we are an expert in? Do, can, do we actually know? Do we think we are one thing, but maybe we are another? Um, and who are those trusted people that you can ask? Um, we're also going to talk about ideas and, and how we can manage all of the ideas that entrepreneurs tend to come up with on a daily basis. And each one seems so brilliant. How do we actually decipher which one we should spend our energy towards? So there's so many things that we're going to, we're going to talk about. And Dave's just a pretty awesome guy. He's even got his own podcast. Um, and we'll talk about that as well. We'll send you links to his books. He's got this amazing book that's called the business of expertise. And he's actually now recording the audible version of that. Um, and you'll find out how to get a free sample of that book where you can buy that book, find out more information about David and all the cool things that he's doing. He's, um, he consults with a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs and agencies, um, um, he's got a strong focus in um, marketing as well. And another thing about David is that he's he's uh, been featured in a lot of, of mediums like Fast Company, USA Today, Inc. Magazine, Forbes. He's, he's done a ton and he's had a lot of years of experience. So um, I think he just does an absolute great job at at telling and sharing his own experiences. My, um, what I learned a lot from too, are the mistakes that he's made. I'm always very curious about entrepreneurs and mistakes that they've made and how they are now doing things differently and how they help their clients and do things differently based on, on what they've learned. So that's extremely key, but we'll talk about all that too. How, you know, is it such a bad thing to, to fail? Uh, what are you going to take from those failures? So please listen to the whole thing. It's pretty awesome. Super excited. Enjoy the interview with David C. Baker. Hello, David. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I, I looked through your list of guests and I said, I know some of these people. And that, that spurred me to go listen to some of them as well. So it was fun. It's really good to be here with you today. Oh, awesome. I, well, I'm so excited because um, you... You have a really unique story of where you grew up and well, you just have so many fascinating things about you. So I'm I'm really looking forward to our listeners getting to hear that story and um, for you sharing that and then how that really translates into 
what you're doing today and how we can sure. help our listeners. So um, with that, because now they're going, well, what is this story? What are they talking about? Can you, can you give us like the, the whole, your whole upbringing? Sometimes I ask people like, where were you 10 years ago? What were you doing? But you've like way before that, we've, we've got to hear that. <laughs> sure. So I'm uh, 57. I live in Nashville now. I was born in the U.S. I'm a U.S. citizen, but when I was four, my parents went overseas to um, San Jose, Costa Rica to learn Spanish. They were medical missionaries in Guatemala, so they needed to learn Spanish. And I was just a young kid, got dropped into kindergarten, I guess. Um, yeah, it kind of seems like, shouldn't that be traumatic when you drop a kid into a school without any training in the language? But it didn't end up being that way at all. We were there for a year. And then when I was five, we went to this little teeny Mayan village in the highlands of Guatemala called San Miguel Acatan. They did missionary work there. Mom did nursing work. Dad did dental work. And they also did a lot of literacy work. So I lived there for 13 years. No no roads, no supermarkets, no gas stations, no electricity, no plumbing. And it was quite an existence. I go back there fairly frequently. I was just in Guatemala last week, actually. And the odd thing is that not much has changed. It's still this little little village that's largely unchanged, except now there's this um, cell tower in the middle on the on the high high mountain, and um, these Mayan Indians are running around with cell phones to their ears. They kind of skipped the the wired generation. So <laughs> I came to the U.S. when I was 18, really, for the first time uh, in terms of me remembering as an adult and a lot of culture shock at the time. So I think of myself as, you know, a U.S. sort of person, but um, I really, I like to be more of a citizen of the world and growing up in other countries was just a fantastic experience. Did you have siblings or was it just you and your parents? I had two younger brothers, one who was two years younger. He now lives in Detroit. And then I had one who was nine years younger, who was born in Guatemala, actually, and he lives in Memphis. So we're still very close and uh, they go back with me as well. They're, my my experience is very similar to my middle brother, Steve, and my little brother. Uh, we didn't spend a lot of time together because of the age difference, but uh, we've gotten very close over the years. And their experience is very, very similar to mine. You know, Mark, the youngest who was born there, was pretty much there without Steve or I. So his experience is even more in depth with this tribe of Indians, really. Wow. And, and are they entrepreneurs as well? Um, one of them is not. He's an executive. He's been an executive at several firms. And the other one is an entrepreneur for sure. And he's actually employing um, some programmers from Guatemala who are very smart and uh, who happen to speak English, which makes it, which makes it easier. And um, so he's, he's sort of building entrepreneurship down there as well. And I think there's something about being an MK, which is kind of the shorthand for missionary kid. And missionaries, whether they're more religious or more medical, you know, there there is something entrepreneurial about missionaries, honestly, because they're they're kind of paving a way, literally paving a way in another country, doing things on their own, taking all kinds of risks. And I think I must have picked up some of that from my my parents, especially my dad. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it. Well, so I'm curious about, you know, the things that you learned from that upbringing and what inspired you to become an entrepreneur and do what you're doing. 
You know, it never occurred to me like I can't ima- I, I I can't remember a day where like I had two paths in front of me. One is go work for somebody else and two go do something on my own. I did work for other people in many cases in the early days. I had many jobs and and actually I think I was a decent employee. I think I was decent in the sense that I contributed at least my share. I think I was a really poor employee in the sense that I always had a better idea about how they should do things, right? And even if they weren't interested in hearing my ideas, I just constantly offered them sort of one of those annoying people (laughs) that that just needs to start their own business at some point. It's like, get out of my hair, go do your own. If you've got all these ideas, go do your own thing. So there, you know, I... I don't know exactly how that translated, but there is something about the entrepreneur that says, I can do that better. They they look at every situation, like even little things. They go to a meeting and, they f- and they're not running the meeting. And in the middle of the meeting, all they're thinking is like, oh my God, I could run this meeting better. It could be quicker. It could be more efficient. Or if it's a big thing, they read an article in the New York Times and they say, well, how in the world, why did they make that decision? I wouldn't have made that one. They're always thinking they could do something better. In many cases, they're flat wrong. They wouldn't do anything better, but they just have this sense of like, I think of it in my own case, there's this thrill of, and I, I actually picture this. It's like diving into an empty pool and inventing water on the way down. That's how entrepreneurs view their <laughs> lives. Like yeah. there, there's that, ch- you, you, you do that. I mean, what, what prompted you to start you have a partner in the business, but what prompted you to start it was a sense that, well, you, you saw some unmet need, right? And right. you felt like you could meet it. Like it, there was just no hesitation on your part, I would gather. No, exactly. That's exactly it. And and of course we saw, you know, we saw in other ways that it was really effective. So it's like, okay, well, how can, how can we do this <laughs> and make right. it different, better, you know, all of that and actually, you know, answer a different need. And of course, you know, as entrepreneurs, you know, that, there are several, you know, there's lots of competition in most industries and different services, but what really makes you stand apart is the message and the people that you're targeting. And it's, it's the marketing really. Right, right, exactly. And, and you're, you're touching the marketing really well, like, like capturing information and so on. Like even, even just the podcast, like, I don't know you personally, but looking over all the episodes that you've done and all the well-known people that you've interviewed like how many people can pull something like that off? I'm just impressed with entrepreneurship. I'm impressed with folks like you who just see an idea and they just do it. I'm sure there are other things you've done that have failed, quote unquote. This one clearly isn't one of those, but you just, that doesn't dissuade you. You just keep doing it. It's like, that's what entrepreneurs do. They just dive in, they make something happen. They invent water on the way down. And if they don't, then they splat into an empty pool, right? But they consistently invent water on the way down. I think it's a beautiful process. It's so true. And I don't know if you found this, but, you know, I've with this has happened with myself. This has happened with other entrepreneurs. But you there's the moments where you're just so excited because it is you are getting down and dirty. You know, you're getting all kinds of uncomfortable, all kinds of self-doubt. I mean, it's just like, talk about like really getting in touch with all different kinds of emotions because entrepreneurship really brings that out in you because you are really being forced to see what are you made of and what are you actually willing to put yourself out there for? And are you willing to fail and, and take ownership of that failure? You know? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, yeah, and the terror, the terror keeps motivating you to be better because you it's know it's crazy. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you know exactly what it feels like to be on stage and look stupid, and you never want to feel that again, right? It just motivates different positioning decisions, preparation decisions, um, connection decisions. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing process. No, it's so true. I mean, and you do go through those moments where you know it's like, wait, sh- should I just have the nine to five job? Would that have been easier? Then I wouldn't yeah, have right. all this pressure, and sh- you know. But then when you have the those wins and you right. actually all of those failures that you did have actually pay off with the lessons that you've learned and how you you do things and also just the insight to say just because you know there was that failure just because I failed now if you've done it enough you know that something good is going to come out of it if you if you choose to to go that way if you choose to take the lesson from it but it's it's yeah it's crazy um so Going off of that, your experience as an entrepreneur, what were some of, what was your first, you said that there wasn't even, you know, another option. It was pretty much, you just thought this is the way that I'm going. I'm, I'm not going to be working for somebody else. I'm going to be doing my own thing. And how did that, how did that start? What was the the beginning of that? And how did that lead to today? Well, I thought at the time I was full-time in graduate school and it was a four-year graduate program that I'd crammed into five years because I was working full-time. We had young kids and about halfway through that, because I was going to be a professor at the graduate level and I was already teaching some courses and I just looked around me and realized, oh my goodness, I got into academia because it felt to me like it was a true meritocracy, like Anybody who had great ideas, no matter their background, could thrive apart from politics. And it became obvious slowly but really certainly that politics were a big part of academia as well. I was at the point – I was at the beginning of needing to defend a thesis as well. And I just thought to myself, you know what? If I'm going to be honest with myself right here, this is not the world for me. I am just not going to be a fit for that. But I was far enough through the program that it made sense to finish. Meanwhile, I was working full-time somewhere else, working for somebody else. He was a great guy. It was a great company. But I was beginning to feel that itch. It's like I think he might be getting tired of all my constant good ideas and so on. <laughs> and so I just decided, all right, I just need to start something on my own. And and I knew I was a writer. I also – I don't mean like books. I just liked writing and I understood marketing, at least the basics, and I was flipping through the newspaper and, and was looking at what people were putting in there. And I was thinking, this sucks. This is just like you you could have half a brain and do better work than this. And so I just said, well, this seems obvious. I'll just try this. And, um, you know, the, the barrier to entry was absolutely zero. You know, you don't have to get any certifications and or anything like that. So I just launched that. And ran that firm for, it was in northern Indiana, Warsaw, Indiana, for five years or five and a half years, something like that. We It was a small firm, it was independent. We did some things really well, some things pretty lamely. It got to be about 16 people. And that was, to that point anyway, that was my first real entrepreneurial venture. I mean, I you know, I mowed lawns and so on, but you know, in terms of selling my thinking, that was the first um, adventure. About... Oh, I don't know, maybe five and a half or so years into that, 
I was subscribing to this newsletter and part of the deal was that the editor of the newsletter said you could call him up and, and or email him, ask him any question you wanted. I think it was his way of sort of staying in touch with the marketplace, figuring out what readers wanted and so on. So I would do that regularly. And then he asked me one day, would you write an article for the publication? This is over an area where I'm speaking. This is what he was saying. I'm not really good in this area. Maybe you could write an article. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And that began um, a pretty quick process of starting to contribute regularly, start to teach some of the other agencies that were part of that group. And one day I said to him, hey, why don't you consult with your readers rather than just this newsletter? And he didn't want to do it for a couple of reasons, but he said, well, maybe you should do it. And that <laughs> idea had never occurred to me. And it just hit me out of the blue before I could even think too much about it. He said, hey, I'll put an ad in the publication. Give me 10% of everything you make. And we'll, so at that point I said, okay, I don't like, I didn't really think anybody would call, but it didn't seem like there would be any downside to this. And the thing is people started to call. So within about six months, it really took over my life entirely. That was 20, almost 24 years ago, where uh, since then I've been working with independent, small entrepreneurial agencies, helping them make better business decisions. And so what I learned, I made a lot of mistakes in the first entrepreneurial venture. I've tried to correct those mistakes here and I'm still making mistakes, but this has been wildly successful in terms of what I was hoping. So I'm very, very happy with that. I'm also learning constantly from just getting inside other businesses and interviewing them and, and seeing their financials and understanding, like, if you pull this lever, this is what happens. So it's been a great ride, actually. I'm very grateful for it. I think that's so that's so great. I love it when you, you know, have experiences and then you're able to help other businesses. I mean, I th that's that's the best way, you know, when you when you've made mistakes right. and you can now it's almost like more exciting when you can help somebody else before they make that mistake or if you know how to fix <laughs> the problem right. that they're having. Right. So you now is this was this the inspiration for the business of expertise? And that's your your latest book, if I'm correct. Yes, it, okay. it is the latest book, right? Um, so I've written five books. Uh, this this one was published just a, a few months ago. This one, I sat down to write a different book. Uh, I wanted to write a book that I thought would be sort of a manual for being a consultant. And I don't even remember what the title started to be, but the outline itself was massive. And as I'm starting down writing this, I'm discovering it's like, oh my God, I'm not even interested in this and I'm the one writing it. It just seems like it's a big Wikipedia of consulting and it didn't, it lacked passion. It was going to be too long. I, I, I just pivoted early in the process and decided I wanted to write a passionate manifesto about expertise, about people who want to know, as in K-N-O-W, people who, who want to understand something and then want to impact their clients and make money in the process. So it's, I think it's a, it's a very narrow book in the sense that it's not going to appeal to many people, but the people who it does appeal to, it's probably going to really resonate with them. People who, who look at their worlds and feel like there could be something better. They could be advisors. They could think for a living, but they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to position their firms. So it became, so it, it was a lot shorter. It was a third the length that I was intending it. I, as I, I was all done with the book and I thought, man, this could really use some illustrations. It really needs to be done in color. So it took a, a whole new life of its own in the process. And, and it's the first book of, you know, the other four are good books, but 
this is the one that really touches my heart. It just, it's, it's, I'm actually doing the audio version of it right now. And it's so much fun to read it. I feel passionate just reading it. It's like, uh, yeah, and I'm finding a couple typos too, unfortunately. <laughs> that always happens. Well, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but one of my, um, I used to be a ghostwriter and author as well myself. But yeah. that was one of the the steps actually in. I'm, they, I I kind of follow what's called like a seven draft rule. So there's all these drafts you go through, and at the the very end, you do read it out loud because you will catch so many more mistakes. <laughs> yeah, then, I'm finding that. I should have done that. Boy, yeah, I've, I, yeah I've, I've found six typos already. Oh. Yeah. No, that's all. It's all good. Hey. <laughs> yeah. um, so, okay. And this is called, you call it the expertise manifesto. Yeah, it's, to myself. It's really, the, the title is actually the business of expertise, how entrepreneurial experts um, impact, you know, clients and make money essentially. But but it's really an expertise manifesto. So it's just a cry out there for people to be experts in something and then make money on it and make an impact on their clients. So do you find that some people don't know what they are an expert at? For sure. You know, a lot of times other people are better at identifying that expertise than they are. They're one of the illustrations in the book is is that we're in our own jars and we can't read the label on the outside. Oh, that's and, such a great, great. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And <laughs> it's so, so true. One of the exercises is to ask about 40 people, a, a combination of friends and family and clients and so on, just what your unique expertise is. And, and of course, they're not conferring with each other. So the answers that they return to you within, you know, a week or two are really interesting because you start to see this pattern emerge between all the responses. And they're all, almost all of them are green about something. And you see something about yourself that you haven't seen before. So they, they're smart. They're somewhat humble. They don't necessarily they're undervaluing their expertise. But then when they see other people confirm all together this expertise, it gives them the confidence to maybe do something with it, right? I don't think there's any – the world has changed so much. It's been Googleized, right? 20 years ago, you could be a smart generalist. The world is too big now. Like no matter what it is, what, whatever your hobby is, you could go to Google and type it into the search box and – and within seconds, you're going to find more information that you could possibly consume. Most of it will be free. Most of it will be good. How in the world could any human keep up with that variety of expertise? It's like the world we're living in requires us to make some very narrow positioning decisions. And sometimes we have to let outsiders help us identify what it is that we're good at, whether it's like an industry or whether it's something like, you know, What's your expertise as a firm? I mean, it's not drawing things. It's about it's about summarizing communication. It's about making things compelling and memorable, right? right. You know, it's it's helping people think differently about what they do innately and and what economic value there is to clients around that skill. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you know, you're what you were um, saying in terms of Google and and all the information out there and making decisions. There is there's a ton of overwhelm out there. And there's also being an entrepreneur, there can be an overwhelm of ideas and things that, that come to us, especially when we are in a certain, whatever our market is, whatever our niche is, like 
you know this and you said you're <laughs> who you previously worked with um, was getting annoyed with all the ideas. Right, right. <laughs> How do you with yourself manage all of those ideas? How do you know which ones to focus on? How do you know which ones are for a later time? Mm, yeah. You know, we could talk for hours just about which quote unquote experts to listen to. There are just oh, yeah. so, so many experts that just don't have a flipping clue. Honestly, they, for one thing, you know, there are millions of awards they can win that somehow put their expertise on a pedestal. But those awards don't mean anything anymore, like even a best-selling author or or you have 100,000 followers on Twitter. You know, you have to dig through that stuff. I, I really do think you have to follow your instincts and you also need to be a little bit contrarian as well. And if everybody is following somebody, then probably something's wrong, like because this stuff tends to be very faddish. So I don't, I don't listen to a lot of that. What I try to do is to write down the ideas that really strike me. I try to record them. That's the most important step. Record them as in, you know, an Evernote file or just anywhere, notebook, and then just let it, let it sit. Because if it's a great idea, if it really is a great idea, it'll still be a great idea a month from now. I also need to run those ideas by some people who don't, who, who, who are not afraid of me, who will consistently give me objective advice and just shoot something down. Now, at any given point, one of those people might be wrong, right? But as a group, they've been reliable. Uh, often, you know, those of you who are in a relationship um, with a significant other, often it's that person. Like, what are they telling you? I'll often ask my clients, well, what is your significant other telling you? Because that's probably the truth you're going to resist that just because you don't want to give them any power right in that relationship. But, but that's usually, so figuring out who you can listen to, making sure that the ideas still last and also not jumping on every idea that comes to you, because especially as you get older, you are not allowed to have new ideas until you identify a previous good idea and kill it and put it down like a deer family dog. It's really sad and it has to happen, but you cannot keep adding things to your life. You have to replace. So every new idea has to replace something else, or you're just going to end up looking back over your life and discovering all the things you started and didn't finish. You've got to choose. You've got to narrow things down and do really well at some things and just say no to the other things that you would have enjoyed. Yeah, that is that is so so true. Um that happens a lot with with entrepreneurs and and ideas and things that they have and if you are somebody from the outside looking watching them, you will see how it's only the things that they're actually putting their attention to that will will grow. And right. you it there's only so much attention that we are capable <laughs> so much right. good attention, quality attention that we are capable of putting in to something because we are just one person, you know? Right. So yeah, that's, that is so true. Um, who are, so you were saying you, you'll, you'll tell your clients to go ask their significant other. Who are some of the people that you ask when you're trying to learn about yourself? Do you have a go-to group or is it different people at different times? Mm. Well, definitely my family. I, uh, I'm married, uh, been married for 37 years, have um, two children, who two boys who are both married. 
um, grandkids. So asking my immediate family, they have been very reliable in giving me good advice over the years. So that's one group that stays constant. Another is um, Blair Enns, E-N-N-S. He's been a friend of mine for many years. He and I do a podcast together called Two Bobs, and he's consistently correct an annoying amount of the time. I kind of know where he's going to, uh, you know, basically diverge from what I think, and I can be prepared for that. That's that's a good one. There are also a, a few clients, and then not specifically getting advice from them, but there are some authors where I will read anything they write. Uh, it doesn't matter what the subject is, but they are they're consistently good thinkers, like uh, Dan Pink, for instance, yes, or an Anne Lamott or uh, Ryan Holiday, um, a Seth Godin, you know, people that have consistently demonstrated that, that they are correct over decades of time. And, and so I just want to sort of test my ideas against them. I'm, I'm not into all the people who are quote unquote experts. Um, I'm more into people who've demonstrated expertise over long periods of time on many different subjects. Right. Now, do you, do you have a mentor somebody that you like is your go-to go-to? Probably Blair Ends would be the closest. He's okay. younger than I am, so he's not an older mentor. Um, and then, you know, when I when I worked for a fellow named Jim Eisenbron, um, that that was the job I left before I started my first entrepreneurial venture. I bounced a lot of things off of him. I found him to be he was an entrepreneur as well, and I found his advice to be very good. I don't have older entrepreneurs now. Of course, maybe I'm too old. All the older ones are dead, right? Yeah. But uh, I do I do depend on some folks, even if they aren't necessarily older than I am. Yeah. And I get to meet with a new client. I work with a new agency every every week, so I'm in a situation where I can kind of bounce ideas off of people and just uh, just get a quick quick sense from them about whether they think the idea is a good one or not. Oh, that's so great. That keeps things very fresh too, to be with new, right. meeting new people. So earlier at the beginning of the interview, you were talking about some mistakes that you've, that you've made. Um, can you share a couple of those mistakes and uh, how you would do, how you would do them differently today? Sure. Uh, one mistake I made was not positioning my firm well. And back when I owned an agency, I didn't even understand positioning all that well. And I, I, I was driven more by this fear that there wouldn't be enough work. And so I cast the net wide and I had a very, very generous positioning. So I, I wanted to craft it in such a way that anybody with money and a heartbeat could hire me which didn't narrow it down very well. That was that was clearly a mistake. Another mistake I made back then in that agency was not understanding how to manage growth. So, and and if you look at at companies of any kind, small service driven businesses that are growing quickly, it almost can be tied to almost always can be tied to the growth of one particular client, and that's what happened in my case and not recognizing the dangers of when that client concentration would sort of raise its ugly head and bite me and leave and and basically leave me hanging. I borrowed too much money to fund that growth. And sure enough, the client did leave and they left for good reasons, but it didn't make any difference. They still left. And so it was very painful to sort of negotiate out of that and pay all the money back and and have everybody keep their jobs and so on. So those were probably the two biggest mistakes I made. But actually, 
you know, when I think I didn't, I don't remember too many of the good decisions I made. I sure remember the bad decisions. Those, <laughs> those are the ones that really, you know, teach me so much. They're just, in, they're just imprinted in my, they're burned in my consciousness. And I never want to make those mistakes again. It's like, that's what bad decisions do for you, right? Oh my gosh. It's so true that we, we do forget to to look back and go, well, look at all the all these good things. Um, we do an exercise in in strategic coach where he pretty much forces you to. It's part of part of the whole. You know, you have so much time to look back and say, okay, what happened at you know such and such time in your business that we're responsible for x amount of growth, and right. it's like, oh wow, I haven't really thought about that because you do think about all the mistakes you made, (laughs) how you would have done something different and, um, to actually look at that and then start to go, okay, well, what are, what are some things that I could do right now, you know, that are going to contribute this much growth this quarter. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. That is what we do though. (laughs) Yeah. I've been through that program as well. It was in the early two thousands, but it was very influential as well. Yeah, it is. Well, there's so, there's so much to learn from you. I can tell we can go on for hours. Um, but I'd love to send, um, I know that the book is the business of expertise and we will, we'll provide a link to that. Is that, is that through Amazon or where's the best place to get that? Probably. Well, Amazon for sure. It's for sale there. The business of expertise, um, David C Baker, or you can learn more about the book and download a sample for free at expertise.is expertise.is. That's another way to look for it. Okay, perfect. And is that where we would find more information on you as well? Yes, that's probably the best way. My consulting firm is recourses.com, R-E-C-O-U-R-S-E-S.com. It'll be rebranded very shortly to davidcbaker.com, but either one of those will also take you to learn more about what I do as a consultant. All right. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate so much all that you've shared with us. One of my favorites, and I'm I'm thinking of telling my artist to draw. I think it would be such a great cartoon. Maybe there already is one out there, but the, um, you know, being inside your own jar with a label and not knowing what the label says. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I yeah really, it's a really clear visual. It is. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Appreciate the chance to talk with your audience as well. well thank you so much, David. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests.